passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 2 Everybody, JJ Cooper, Jeff Ponce, Dylan White here. We're first of what will be a series as we're going to get together every Thursday night for the Fantasy Summit. Get you ready, everything you need to know for your fantasy draft, your dynasty draft, your sim league, whatever it is. I promise you there's going to be a ton of information that's going to help you. Mainly not because I'm not going to talk a lot because you have experts here. Uh, Dylan White, you know, what do we have to say? You know, it, it Anyone here who's uh, who's been one of the uh, winners of the main event, uh, please raise your hand. I will keep my hand firmly down. But as you know, Dylan did did win that last year, and also we have with us Jeff Ponce, who you well know as well from all his prospect coverage, but also has been involved in the fantasy space for a long time, and with Dylan helps drive our fantasy coverage. So we are thrilled to have everyone here tonight. We are going to. We're going to cover a lot. And obviously, before we do that, though, the most important thing, one of the things that we wanted to get out there before we started the Fantasy Summit, and I want these guys to talk about it, is we rolled out the, the, the 700. It's there. You have, you have the rankings. You have the, the, the top 700 that basically gives you kind of the, the, the framework and in a downloadable form for Baseball America subscribers. So you can put it in your, in your spreadsheets. You can help it, you know, use it with other things, but guys, welcome here. And, and I'll kind of start with you, Dylan. How fun is it to have the 700 done, but how fun was it to put together the 700 as well? Uh, it's a relief that it's done, but uh, you know, we were going through the positional ranks all off season. And so it was kind of easy to just kind of aggregate them together. Um, extremely helpful for me not just for my dynasty leagues um, but also for redraft help me dig in and i could see who it looks like is going to do well this year um just a great resource great tool that i'm going to be referring to a lot during this offseason and probably during the season as well what, what about for you jeff yeah absolutely um i think for me it was a relief because it's sort of the handbook goes to press and we had already started doing some positional rankings, but it's a little bit lighter lifting uh, when we're talking about catchers and first baseman and even second baseman. And then, you know, handbook goes to press and then we really ratcheted up 
and we dial in, you know, heavily on the fantasy rankings and building up uh, to this larger list. I don't even think we necessarily had a number in mind. Um, 700 seemed to be where Dylan and I both felt like, all right, this is where like a reasonable cutoff point where like, it makes sense. The rankings for the most part make sense. And it's a good balance of the two of us for it started to go into like the real wilderness. And the other thing is, and Dylan and I talk about this, we have 900 scouting reports that just got released in the site. You know, we're going to have, um, you know, another uh, 10 per team as we expand for, you know, 31 to 40 on the prospect side. There's a lot of information. Once you dig into deeper prospects, we have a lot of that information already available. So there's only so much we have to do. I think a lot of our job is just trying to balance the two of major leagues and prospects and how this all sort of fits into the bigger picture of like the three to five year window with a dynasty team versus the one to two to three year window. So, Jeff, also, before we dive into talking about the rankings, and also, by the way, we're going to take your questions. So if you have a question, leave it for us here. We're going to get to a lot of those. We will. We want to answer what you all want to talk about tonight. But before we do that, Jeff, explain to us a little bit what people can expect with this Fantasy Summit series that we're going to be doing really for the next month. Yeah, so we did the full Fantasy Day Summit last year uh, just for subscribers only on the website, and I think it did pretty well. Um, I think we were all really tired from one day, and we're a lot earlier with our fantasy content this year. We've had fantasy content going now for a year plus, just about. Um, I think as of February 1st, maybe it's been a full year. Um, so this is a very normal off season for us. We were able to sort of jump into it a little bit earlier. We're breaking that up into different sessions, providing it here um, for you know any of our followers and, and subscribers on YouTube and Twitter, et cetera. Um, and we'll have different uh, folks from different spheres of the fantasy world, different league types, other fantasy analysts that have different um, specialties, that sort of thing. Um, so Really, the goal is to just do similarly to what we did last year uh, with the Fantasy Summit to just break it into more digestible sessions once a week, 7.30 on Thursdays, um, easy time for everybody from coast to coast. So that was kind of the goal. And we'll have and Chris Clegg, James Anderson, you know, Chris Blessing, a lot of these different folks will be, I'll be hopping on for different sessions. Um, and we have them also involved in the Dynasty Mock startup that we did last year for the magazine, which was 30 rounds. Uh, that had, had a full page, you know, color spread in our mag. Um, so for the print subscribers, there's something extra there for you too. And with that also, we just kind of want to also point out, we, we welcome all of you who are watching this. You don't have to watch this live. We keep this archived as well. So if you're watching this at another time other than live, we also are glad to see you here. But let's just dive in. So let's talk about kind of, let's start with, I, I was like, who is the guy that you guys fought about the most? And again, I don't mean fought, you know, like, cause you guys get along very well, but who is the guy that you're like, you know, that was the toughest tough. Let's say at a top hundred guy first, the toughest guy to kind of figure out where are we going to slot him? Because you all had some, some different opinions about take us away, Dylan. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough question. I don't know. I don't think we had any like battles where we were trying to, to work out who who should come out on top. I think part of the process was I come at it from a certain angle, Jeff comes at it from a certain angle, and, and we kind of combine our expertises. Um, and that blend, if we're far apart, quote unquote, like the blend kind of brings it into a thing that makes complete sense. 
from if you're coming at it from a scouting angle, if you're coming at it from only data, if you're coming at it from fantasy, if you're coming at it from real life, it all kind of blends and it makes sense and it's justifiable. Um, I don't have anything <laughs> off, okay. off the top of my head. I was like, who, who, okay. who really? I'll throw one out. Jeff, yeah. What Tarek Skubal. Dylan's a little higher on Skubal than you are, I think. Yeah. Why? What is your thought on Skubal? And then I'll ping pong back to Dylan. Yeah, I think the market has moved so fast on on Tarek Skubal. Um, and I mean, for good reason. There's good stuff there. We saw a good sample of it in the second half. I think as Dylan wrote in his lineup, uh, write up on it uh, in the top 700, he was one of the best pitchers in the second half of the season. And I think it's easy to see the stuff there. Um, I guess my worry is is innings. Um, the thing that I've run into in recent years is often buying into the K per nine philosophy almost to a fault. Meaning like I play in a lot of, you know, daily moves leagues and a lot of it comes down to like getting those innings, but also maximizing the amount of K's that you're getting for the innings that you're throwing with your pitchers. But if you have too many guys that throw hundred, 120 innings versus like, you know, I think it's like the meme with the, the Chad that, you know, with the rubber elbow that throws 200 innings. And at the end of the year, the Chad, though he has the lower rates, actually has more strikeouts. And, like, I run into that all the time. Um, so I feel like that was some adjustment on my part. And there's just – there is still some injury worry for me that I feel like the market adjusted too fast to him versus, like, a Cole Reagans, um, who I think similarly, like, skill-wise and performance-wise from what we saw could be kind of even. And he's going a little bit later on a lot of dynasty startups that, I, that I've seen. So I've ended up with a lot of Cole Riggins and not a lot of Tarek Skubal. That said, if he was available on the you know on the trade market for a team that's already drafted for a dynasty I'm a few years into and I'm a competitive team, he might be somebody that I'm willing to move high ranked prospects for. And you know that's why a list like ours is obviously good because it helps you balance the two. And I'll say that going into like the cutoff days and a lot of my cut down days and a lot of my leagues, the last two three days haven't done this exercise was very helpful in identifying who I should keep and also <laughs> who I could trade for who. And, and everything, everything Jeff said right there, I completely agree with everything he's saying there is completely right. But the other side of the coin is Scooble came back and he was throwing two miles an hour harder and his ball percentage, which is correlated very highly. Jeff Zimmer, Zimmerman did a lot of work on this correlated to walk rates better than the previous year's walk rate. Um, has also come down for the past three years. So everything's kind of pointing, even though it was a small sample size, that he's improving and has come back kind of a new pitcher with a new true talent level. Um, he's heading into his age 27 season. He pitches in a good park that suppresses home runs. Um, if you look at projection systems now for this year, he's a top 10 pitcher. So there's that side of the coin. Um, everything Jeff said, injury risk, kind of like, is this real? How much regression is there going to be? All that plays into it as, as well. Um, but what I'm seeing in in sort of market perception is Tarek Skubal is viewed sometimes as an SP1, sometimes as an SP2. So I think that the blend of our two approaches kind of kind of finds that nice creamy middle. Along those lines, is Tyler Glasnow another guy who kind of fits in this? Obviously, moving to the Dodgers is not that he was on a bad team, but moving to the Dodgers should be a, you know, if he's healthy, it, it should be beneficial. But that's how do you all kind of blend the risk with Glasnow and, and then the upside as well? 
I think it's exactly the same thing. When he's pitching, when he's on the mound, he he's lights out. Um, his career with with the Rays, uh, 388 innings. He has a 12.2 K per nine and a 2.8 uh, walk per nine. Um, 1.02 WHIP, 3.20 ERA. Um, in that time frame that he's played for the for the Rays, his he has the fourth best uh, K minus BB percentage in the league. At 26% behind DeGrom, Garrett Cole, and Max Scherzer, um, and ahead of people like Justin Verlander, Brendan Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Shane Bieber. Um, so when he's on the mound, he's dominant. So yes, the question is health. Um, going to the Dodgers, there's obviously a sort of a perception bump by you know league mates in your dynasty league that you know he's gone to a, a team that is going to be perennially great. Not that the Rays aren't, but you know they have such a great offense, they have such a great a big budget to work with at all times or kind of a dynasty in a way. Um, I think he, he moves up. I completely understand the other side of the coin, which maybe Jeff will go into now. Yeah. I think like he's another one where um, those sort of guys worry me, um, you know, versus somebody who has shown the ability to throw more innings um, more consistently. Uh, and you know, I, I think the other thing too is when I start to look at pitchers and I start and versus hitters and evaluate them based on ages, I start to worry more about the slide with hitters at like 29, 30, 31 than I necessarily do with pitchers. Um, I feel like there is sort of like we've seen it time and again, guys kind of learn to pitch a little bit more. Um, but the strike throwing definitely gets better. You know, they know how to get through lineups. And we sort of see second lives for a lot of top pitching prospects that kind of flame out. Kevin Gaussman is certainly one who now has this second life as like a top five to 10 pitcher in baseball, right? Um, so, you know, I, I don't mind buying in on pitchers a little bit later and buying a little bit older um, when they have shown that they can handle, you know, 150, 160 innings. Because uh, at the end of the year, having a few of those guys and then, you know, do still having a couple of those caper nine guys is valuable. It's just the cost for glass now still is scary. And, you know, I don't, I feel like he's still going to be a five and dive kind of guy. now. That's kind of a perfect segue to a uh, Jeff Johnson question here, which is, so what are your all's thoughts on Bobby Miller? Speaking of that Dodgers rotation, what are your thoughts on Miller? Will they go to a six man rotation with all the injury risk pitchers? And I would also say, with that also, and is that also in preparation for next year when when Otani's back? We do know that Otani seems to be more effective in a six-man rotation as well. Yeah, I, Bobby Miller, honestly, throughout this process, <laughs> at least for me, was somebody where I left the process, especially because starting pitchers was right before we released the 700. So it was pretty easy to segue from one to the other. But um Miller for me was somebody where I, I left the process more confident of like, okay, he came up, he handled a decent amount of innings. He handled a decent amount of innings the, the previous year. He gets ground balls. He doesn't strike out the world, especially the way the stuff would dictate, but he strikes out enough and he throws strikes that it's not all that different in some ways from like what prime Walker Bueller was. And I feel like that's a lazy comp, but in some ways it's very similar high octane fastball with like maybe not crazy shape. Um, and, you know, Miller has a ton of really good secondaries. 
he has you know five or six different pitch shapes that he can throw. Um, so I also think he's somebody that, you know, as he learns how to attack lineups differently or could even show different lineups and different types of hitters, different parts of his arsenal um, and attack them different ways, get a big ground ball, get a swing and miss when he needs it, when he wants to attack high in the zone with a fastball and it does work well up there. The more I dug in on him and even just like how his locations play, I kind of came away like Miller's a guy I kind of view as a top 10-ish starting pitcher uh, in Dynasty. So I, I'm pretty high on Miller um, and pretty confident. I think his, his setup with the Dodgers is good. And now that they have some bigger name pitchers, he's he's not going to be like the de facto ace in his second full year in the majors, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I came into it um, a bit skeptical of Bobby Miller, that this process of kind of assessment that Jeff's talking about. And I came back um, more impressed as well. Um, if you if you go by stuff plus you can find on fan graphs it's he's got five pitches that are all above 100 did not expect that uh if you go to his savant page same thing it's all red he he actually was quite dominant um i think the six man rotation is what the dodgers are going to go with i think that actually makes sense too i know they're talking about slow playing bueller he may not be ready for the season kershaw's kind of looming he'll come back gonsolin's out he'll come back otani like they uh jeff mentioned um, he, he'll be back next year. I think the six man rotation kind of makes sense. And so without kind of the pressure of, of Miller having to perform, he had, I think 124 innings last year. So, you know, they don't, they're not going to count on him for 200. They don't want to overextend his, uh, his, his, his work, um, this year. I think it kind of makes sense. I think it works. And so, uh, yeah, I'm very high on Bobby Miller, much higher than I was going into the process. So we're going to tie into, we got a couple more questions that we're going to get to, but before we do that, I do want to ask you another one with this is, okay, this is a list. Y'all have to balance the present and the future. These are dynasty lists. So how do you strike that balance? How do you strike that balance of, man, this prospect's really good, but you're going to get that payoff probably more in year two, three, four than you're going to get it this year when y'all are lining up these rankings. How do you kind of figure out how you, how you make that? formulate that blend jeff you gotta take us away please yeah i think um there are parts of it that are heavily based on some stuff that's unique to our process um of course dylan's robo scout um which helps drive a lot of stuff especially when we're talking about something with a lot of players a lot of big numbers it helps us kind of contextualize all that but we also have access to minor league st stat cast data and it's something that we've been able to look at fortunately going back really heavily with a lot of devices across many games for the last three years, but even dating back further than that. So we have some sort of historical significance. We wrote about, I wrote about this recently, a couple of weeks ago, but just looking at some rookies from last year and their data and comparing it to some potential rookies from this year and also some rookies from the 2022 class. So it's kind of interesting to, to now be able to, look at traits and say like, these are very similar traits to a Gunnar Henderson, to a Corbin Carroll, to a Tristan Cassis, uh, whoever, and then be able to tie that back and put that into perspective, not only with the advanced stat cast data, but with the RoboScout stuff and just looking at, you know, simple slash line baseball card stats and stuff you'd find on fan graphs when you're doing your own work and your own research. Um, it allows us to get a much fuller, bigger picture. So it allows us to kind of know who the really elite prospects potentially can be. And I think we've seen time and again, especially the guys that rank 
very highly at the top of these lists. 80% of the time over the last handful of years, those guys typically hit and become, you know, top 50, top 60 sort of fantasy players. And we're talking about, you know, your your Camineros, your Jackson Churios, your Jackson Holidays, you know, that level of prospect. And then we sort of know how the next tier is kind of slot in. Uh, and not that we're always going to hit on everyone, even the major leaguers from year to year, guys can fall off uh, catastrophically. Uh, it happened before. So I think just balancing all that and also understanding that players who have a lot of talent who are a year or so away from the majors and away from impact can move pretty fast and almost unexpectedly so in this current environment, you know, um, with the prospect uh, um, promotion incentive and things like that, it's moving a lot faster. So I think that's been able to help us some because it's blending in a little bit more. I don't know if Dylan feels the same or not. Yeah, no, I echo all that. I mean, I think, so what I, when, when I create RoboScout, created RoboScout, I, I lean heavily on sort of age curves, how, how minor leaguers tend to age, what stats, how they kind of improve or, or, or uh, decline over time. Um, so I apply those age curves and I apply those to even major leaguers that if you're 23, you're going to expect to have more power as you, as you age into you know, your prime, et cetera. So, I mean, I just came at it straight from data for major leaguers. What are they expected to do? How are they going to do over the next few years? Put that into a spreadsheet, weighed like the more recent, um, higher than, you know, further out in the future. Did the same with the minor leaguers. And I know that, you know, someone who's in single A may not be in the majors for a year. So for his first year of value, it's not that high. But then he may have a peak that is extremely high and extremely relevant. So I boost that up. So I kind of had all these equations that I was playing with. Um, I'm a huge proponent of you need to be able to be good at redraft leagues in order to win a dynasty because the point of a dynasty league is to win as many years as you can. So you need to have the strategy and the know-how and the skills to, to win in season. Um, so I, I kind of weigh proximity um, maybe higher than someone else will, because I think there's a, there's a gap in the, in the dynasty leagues that I've seen that people like the prospects, people like to, to speculate on who's going to be the next big thing. And they kind of will leave useful, productive veterans um, kind of by the wayside, they don't even consider them. And I think that's a gap that that can be exploited. And if you're a BA subscriber, and you probably are, if you're on this, you're going to have uh, a heads up on who are the prospects to know, who are the prospects that are coming up. So you can kind of lean more heavily on established vets because you know that you're going to backfill with prospects just by being a subscriber to BA. So I kind of overweighted a bit more on the proximity side. And um, I think that blend that I've been talking about all, all all podcast here um, yeah. with Jeff kind of finds that sweet spot where, you know, it brings up the the prospects where I know some, a lot of avid dynasty players love the prospects and, and they want to see who's weighted and who's rated highly. And I think like when you see the top 100 prospect list released next year for next week for fantasy, there are some prospects that are mixed into that list where I think it's almost the same thing where there's some prospect fatigue and then, you know, right they enter a year like now and there's some opportunity there on the 40 man maybe there's you know a positional battle where they could they could slide in and they're not necessarily as big of a name as somebody who's two three years away um you know who might have more trade value but not necessarily you know the same kind of target 
Um, I go back and look at someone like Nolan Jones a year ago, who I'm sure like Robo Scout was higher on than I would have necessarily been because I started to take in some of that fatigue. And then a year later, you know, Nolan Jones is a guy that's going top 60, top 70 in dynasty and fantasy uh, uh, redrafts. So, you know, he goes to sort of show you that you never really know. So we have uh, some more questions. I want to ask this one from Matthew Rakow, which kind of fits in with what y'all talking about. Can y'all talk about your favorite breakouts this year? Who, as y'all start doing, you know, drafts and all, how, who are some of the, the players that, that you're reaching for that you're maybe taking earlier than kind of the consensus board that would have them lined up right? That's a good question. I, I may I may be stepping on your toes here, Jeff, but I like Colt Emerson a lot in FYPD. Um, just he, according to RoboScout, just had an incredible, I mean, not just RoboScout, had an incredible debut, one of the biggest helium names from the draft who kind of improved his stock the most um, of anyone who's kind of eligible for first-year player drafts now. Um, I kind of have him ahead of Max Clark, um, which may have been heresy, you know, six months ago, but just his, his debut, his professional debut was so loud. Um, the Mariners have had a, you know, recent history of kind of developing um, their hitters quite well. Um, so he's someone that I'm, I'm hoping to get in my FYPDs. I don't even know if it's going to be possible because I think a lot of people are kind of catching on to that. What about you, Jeff? Yeah. I know that when we did top hundred feedback, we just kept getting, keep moving Colt Emerson up higher. <laughs> Um, you know, I'll say a guy that, uh, I'm pretty excited about uh, actually a couple here. And I always like to, especially with dynasty, if I'm going to throw out some names, I like to throw out the lower level prospects, complex guys, you know, I've hit on a few junior Cameron era, Josue Apollo was my big one last year coming off the complex. So this year it's been Robert Kalaz, um, you know, not, not ranked super, super highly, but I think just like a super interesting um, sleeper that's a little bit later. I think he's a guy that could potentially break out in full season. Um, there's even a chance that he could skip um, the Arizona Complex League, and we could see him maybe like one of those sort of May assignments. Um, tons of power, kind of like a Yankeel Fernandez pr profile, I think, with better plate skills. Um, and then the other one that's ranked higher, and, and I know that we had some um, you know split opinions on this one, was Lazaro Montes. Um, you know, I just I really believe in the power. There's some plate skills there, not a ton of bat to ball skills. That's still kind of raw, um, but more than covers the gap in terms of just huge impact. And that's a guy in fantasy that I'm going to target. Zach Dezenzo, kind of another one as well. He's inside of our fantasy top 100. Um, Astros prospect that I cover. On the fantasy side, I really like Dezenzo because I'm not as concerned because with the positional value, because I feel like if he does slide to first base, like we saw what he did last year, the strikeout rate wasn't that bad um, considering the type of power he has. And I think that there could be more plate skills and maybe even game power to come in the sense. And he can run a little bit, you know, he's not a, he's not a slow poke. Um, it may not be, it's not gonna be like 25 steals, but you know, I don't think it's a, a, a nothing in terms of stolen base production. And I think we know, you know, it's that combination of runs, RBIs, home runs, stolen bases that really drives fantasy value at the end of the day. It's not walk rates or anything else. It's how do you, how many counting stats can you drive? Okay, and I'm going to follow up with Matthew. Had a, the, the flip side of that also, which is, okay, 
Who are some of the players that you're most worried about? Guys, not guys who aren't going to get taken, but guys who are like, yeah, that guy's being taken probably quite a while before I'd be willing to go there. I'll start with you this time, Jeff, and let Dylan have a little bit more time to think. Yeah, one guy that I, I think I'm a little worried about is Randy Arizarena. Just based on the price, um, you know, he's approaching 30. Um, the lineup with the Rays, I think. I, the Rays, for me, this year, they're in a little bit of disarray. You know, obviously, the whole Wander Franco situation isn't great. The pitching staff has changed over a little bit. If they took a slight step back this year, it wouldn't be a shock. I'm probably going to be cursed for saying this, and they're going to rip off 25 out of like 26 wins or something in the first like two months, of, like a month of the season. They, they did it last year. Yeah, exactly. Um, but for me, Arizona is somebody where if you look at just the underlying numbers and the value, a lot of his value is, is like George Springer is kind of tied to the number of at bats that he has and the number of games played he has. I know I'm kind of going back on what I said with the pitchers, but I feel like there's only so many seasons where you're going to see 700 at bats. He's not, he can play in the outfield. He's not a tremendous outfielder. Um, I don't think he's going to get moved or anything like that, but he's had tremendous health the last few years. And for me, I think just based on where the price tag is, there's others around him that I think are trending up that if I had Arizona, I'd be looking to move him for somebody else right now. Could still have another great year, but I think if you're looking two, three years down the road, he's somebody like right now is a good time to sell. What about yeah, you, I, I I have a Rosarena in in a dynasty league, so I'm kind of hoping you're wrong there. <laughs> but this this is a good segue to our our targets, sleepers, and fades articles where we talk about who, you know, we're kind of maybe lukewarm on. And Springer was a great example. I had him as an outfielder. He is kind of a volume play. He is getting up. You know, he's in his 30s now, um, so I'm worried about him. But I think you know Carlos Correa is someone I'm a bit worried about. I think the the nature of the injury he had the plantar fasciitis. That's the type of thing that lingers, the type of thing that kind of flares up unexpectedly. Um, it's very frustrating if you have that type of player um, because out of the blue, he'll suddenly be on the IL or he, he won't play a few games in a row and there won't be any news about it. So that one, I, I love Carlos Correa. He's a he's great, especially in uh, on-base percentage leagues. Um, doesn't have much speed but uh he's he's one that i'm kind of fading and I, I also have him in the same league i have randy rosarita so i'm kind of hoping that i'm we're both wrong on this but i think i think for me it's mostly kind of vets who have survived on reputation and i think you know if if you have a chance kind of do a deeper dive if you can um, to make sure that they still have the underlying skills to support you know their their perceived value. So like even an Aaron, Nolan Arenado, who I really love too, and who who played very well for the Cardinals. You know his barrel rate hasn't been the greatest. Um, he kind of survived on pulled fly balls, that type of thing. And maybe you know there, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he had sort of a a drop off in production unexpectedly, um, despite what the projections and all that say. Oh, and one more from Matthew, which is in what format if you drafted a startup would you most heavily go by the top seven hundred? Dylan, I'll let you start on this. You are our Mr. Process guy. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, I, I I approach this more from Roto uh, as opposed to points. So um, I had pitchers maybe a little lower than they would be. So I approached it for, for Roto. Um, I kind of blended the batting average versus on-base percentage um, equally. I kind of went more by weighted runs created plus, which kind of captures both. 
So keep that in mind. If you're, if you're going in, a, if you're in an OBP league, make sure, you know, it makes sense that if you go by the 700, that the person you're picking um, has a high OBP, same thing for batting average versus, um, versus OBP. Um, I went for like a 15 team league. Um, so I had in my head, the idea of where replacement value would be kind of in the like 15 to 30 range. So like, if the 14th best second baseman versus the 14th best third baseman, kind of like leveling those out. That was kind of what I did. Um, so if you're in a shallower league, keep that in mind. Um, if you're in a deeper league, keep that in mind. So I think sort of 15 team Roto batting average OBP kind of um, is the same um, more saves than holds. Um, but in, in the leagues where you're, you're sort of a, a holds league or a blend of those two, sort of the, 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 relievers that you see on our list who aren't closers you may be able to boost them up even higher intuitively that's a great question though because it's sort of how to how to interpret the the 700 to fit your format we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster that's why i use indeed for our hiring at baseball america it allows me to do everything on one website I get quality candidates i can schedule them i can interview them i can screen them i can send messages to them all within indeed and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree that indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That, I'll kind of ask the question with that, which is, is how difficult is this as y'all put this together? Because like you just laid out, the the challenge of all of this is, is that people are playing in leagues that are very different, you know? And, and so you, you kind of, again, there has to be some interpretation to this, knowing what kind of league you're in, because it can, it can change it pretty dramatically, can it not? Yeah, and I think, you know, some of this has to be, you know, for the manager to ultimately decide and use, right? You know your league. <clears throat> I can't. I can't know all 7,000 leagues of all readers, um, though I try to play in as many as I possibly can. And I play in a lot of different formats. But my 12, the 12, my 12 team, you know, keep a <clears throat> head-to-head points league is very different from my 30 team six by six Roto league, which is different from the Highlander league that I'm in with a a bunch of other writers um, and so on and so forth. But when I go into a draft and I'm often, you know, building my queue and I'm, I'm building it off of these lists that I have on my own and rankings and stuff that I, you know, upload into fan tracks or what have you. And 
when I'm up on the clock or I'm, I'm coming up close, like I'm kind of looking at certain positions. What do I need for my team? I'm going into a first year player draft tomorrow in my 30 team league. And, you know, I have a bunch of second round picks. So I'm kind of looking at like players in this area and, and trying to figure that out. So I think some of it too is like, don't necessarily get caught up in the, in the static ranking and, and look more at the groupings of, all right, these players are within 15 to 16 spots of each other. And in the bigger scheme of things, the bigger universe that even expands beyond 700, it's pretty small potatoes. So it's like, all right, do I need a, a pitcher? Do I need a second baseman? Do I need more power? Do I need more speed? Uh, do I need more upside? You know, sometimes it's just a matter of finding the right blend of sort of herbs and spices, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, to just pivot off of that, like, don't get hung up too much on, you know, like, if you think, if you want, pick the guy who's ranked 500th, and it looks like you're leaving number 400 on the table, you're leaving value there. Don't don't get hung up on that. There's not that much of a difference. Know your league. If you think that the number 500 is better than number 450 because of the way your league values prospects, because you think this guy's a good on-base on percentage guy, do that. There's not that much of a difference between, you know, 450 and 500. Um, I tried as well to make it as, as agnostic as possible. If people who are good at defense, who are going to get playing time, they're boosted up higher. Um, so they're, you're not picking the niche people who are only good in specific leagues, someone who's just a stolen base guy, but doesn't have anything else like that may not have value in other leagues. So I'm trying to be as, as league agnostic as possible. Um, you want playing time. You want guys who have high WRC pluses, cause that'll also sustain playing time. You want guys who will have high war, um, projected over their career as well. Cause they're going to get playing time. Like those guys are going to be good in no matter what league you're in, they're going to add value. Um, and then just kind of, as, as Jeff was talking about, kind of parse how your format and how your league is to kind of to find who, who you value more higher than the other one um, based on our rankings. So y'all have the 700 up now, but that's not a static 700, right? So Jeff, kind of take us through what BA readers can expect as far as the 700. How often are y'all going to update it as we yeah. kind of go through fantasy draft season? Yeah, I mean, you know, that morning we got news that uh, Justin Turner signed with the Blue Jays and we were able to just like update his team, things like that. Um, so we're keeping sort of notes on the side of players that maybe people mentioned, uh, maybe some people that we overlooked and needed to take a second look at. Um, we're making notes and I think plan on updating regularly. If, you know, there is a trade, there was a situation like, Michael Bush, for example, um, kind of that changed the ranking. The day before we we're going to publish the ranking, or a few days before, Colt Keith signed a six-year contract, which I think raised him up a couple of spots in the third base rankings because the biggest question is, was Colt Keith going to start the year in the major leagues? And now it's pretty clear that he probably will and, and get some opportunity. So things like that we'll be able to adjust. Um, and as we dig further in, there'll be injuries, as the games start to get played in spring, a lot of that stuff will get updated and changed. And, you know, we'll see the market move too. Um, I'm in a few FYPDs right now. We're going to have some more data from our dynasty startup. Um, so we'll, we'll get a better idea of how the market's sort of valuing some players too. And we'll certainly adjust for that. So it's something that we're going to try to keep it like a living document and, you know, sort of consistently updating and then just sort of marketing updated February 1st, updated, you know, April 2nd, whatever it might be. 
are there any free agents out there right now that would do you think their rankings would change significantly depending on where they signed? If a Blake Snell, you know, ends up, uh, you know, in Seattle or a Jordan Montgomery ends up in Baltimore or whatever, is that going to really change much of anything? Or is that just kind of, okay, it's already, it's not going to change it much. So it's kind of already factored in. I think it might. I think it might. I think it kind of speaks to the fact that you want to come and check regularly, <laughs> go onto the page to see if, if it's changed. Like if, if Snell signs with um, the Tigers, for example, there's a ripple effect. It's not just how Snell's going to do, but now maybe Reese Olsen drops because he's not going to be pitching uh, in, in the rotation. And so he may drop a bit. And there's, you know, when Polanco got traded, Jorge Polanco, now maybe Brooks Lee's going to have a a clearer path to playing time. And so he'll move up. So there's always, you know, the ripple effect and, and all the context changes as well, not just the specific player. So Jorge Soler, if he signs JD Martinez, he signs, it's going to have a ripple effect on playing time for outfielders and DHs. And especially for DHs for those two, Soler and JD Martinez, if he's, if they're going to knock down someone who only has value as a DH, if they, not, they may get to zero in terms of their value. Um, if uh, I, I can't think of a team necessarily right now off the top of my head, but uh, it, it could have significant effects on on where the free agents sign. So you know, keep keep tuned into our, our list. Yeah, and I think there's you know certainly some run environment stuff as well. Uh, if Snell or Montgomery, I don't think it's going to happen, but sign with the Rockies or the Reds, um, that might change it a little bit. Or if one of them signed with the Dodgers, if they decided to collect all of the pitchers like Pokemon <laughs> and uh, you know, just <laughs> like just went crazy. I, you know, it, I, I think that would affect it. You know, there's opportunity or the Braves, the Braves went out and signed somebody. There's opportunity for wins. I actually think the Orioles are kind of interesting because we do know them pushing back the, the fences there in the ballpark have had an impact. Um, you know, I, I, it would be great to see them both like sign either of them. Um, but I think, you know, from a ballpark perspective and a park factors perspective, those are good landing. That's a good landing spot now for pitchers, especially with the potential for wins and a pretty good bullpen behind you. Um, and, you know, they've had some secret sauce. They got a lot out of Kyle Bradish. They figured something out with, with Grayson Rodriguez. And I keep on seeing people um, selling me on Dean Kramer as a, as a breakout in fantasy next year. So, you know, there's some, there's some, there's maybe something more there. So I got we got a couple more questions here that are good to get to. So I'm going to ask you this: What's your strategy strategy with drafting January 15th guys in FYPD? Used to be J2, now it's J15. The month has changed, but the the acronym still stays almost the same. So yeah, like okay, like as a DeVries, you know, if a DeVries or someone like that uh, going, what's y'all strategy? Uh, take us away first, Jeff. Yeah, I think it depends on the league. Like my 30 team leagues, um, I have 20 minor league spots. I'm more than happy to take chances on these guys because I can hold on to them for two, three, four, sometimes even five years. And I mean, they can really pay dividends if it's a top, you know, notch player. Um, you know, we saw it with Louis Robert. Um, we've seen it with others. And I, I think that the highest upside is often with those guys. The problem is like in my 12 team head to head points league where I keep eight and I can roster seven prospects. I'm probably going to go for somebody that's going to move a little bit quicker. There's a little bit less risk. Um, 
because it's such scarcity in terms of the spots. So a lot of it depends on how deep your league is. You know, I think with a league where 200 prospects are rostered, I feel pretty comfortable about drafting a player like that if I know, hey, I've had prospects that I've held on to for two or three years. Uh, and I have a 16-team uh, league that's kind of like that, where you know there's enough prospect spots that I've been able to hold on to some more faraway prospects for a few years, and it hasn't hurt my competitive window. Um, so I think you always have to balance that a little bit. If I'm two, three years from getting competitive and I'm just trying to get the highest upside players, I'm probably going after more, you know, J15 or IFA players personally. And I was I kick it to you, Dylan. I will note, obviously, we think there's value to it because when you do your Robo Scout every weekend season, we're highlighting like, hey, here's the here here's the best guys performing in the DSL. Get, get, keep your eyes on this guy. Keep them on that. But how do you look at it? What's your strategy for drafting January 15th? But also, we could even say very far away international players who who haven't made it to the states yet as well yeah i mean they're always the most fun too right uncovering the the diamonds in the rough that no one's heard of and then all of a sudden they're popping and now they're a top 100 prospect um you're getting nothing something out of nothing um so i i always love that but at the same token by having robo scout i'm always churning that spot i don't want to have if i have 20 minor leaguers i don't want to have you know five that are at the complex or in in the dsl i think that's too many i'm, I'm all maybe one or two um and i'm always churning it so i mean it's always the most fun it's the one that i'm always paying the most attention to and it's where it pays the most dividends the the, the return on investment always is always the best um i think because they're so far away it kind of depends on how you play your strategy your whoa <laughs> i'm sorry to interrupt you but we yeah. do have legitimate breaking news that we're going to uh dive into here <laughs> we don't have any other details yes but thank you jeff johnson i ken rosenthal uh and i'm checking to verify 1.4 million followers that is a legit ken rosenthal tweet says breaking orioles close to acquiring corbin burns which Let's just say there's no system out there that was better equipped to do it. They're the number one farm system in baseball. It's not close. It probably still won't be close after this trade. But that being said, really, wow. Pretty close, though. I mean, they get some pieces here. You know, I, I got to say, this isn't, maybe it's not the headliner, but I really hope this is the free Joey Ortiz after we had the free Michael Bush because. I know JJ and I are believers in Joey Ortiz, and I do think it would be great to see him get an opportunity. Um, I wonder if there could be some major league pieces moving too. I, I don't know. Um, there's enough controllable players in the Orioles roster that, uh, yeah, this is very interesting. We get some breaking news right in the podcast. So, hmm, I don't know. Other names could could Kerstad be moving? Um, you know, would they would they trade Enrique Bradfield already? Could it be a couple of pitching prospects? I know we both like Chase McDermott. Um, what are your thoughts, JJ? Throw some names out there. So one of my main thoughts is, is this is the kind of move that I've been waiting for Baltimore to do. Maybe it's not coincidental that it happens after. Like, I feel like that, that the <laughs> Orioles, the only thing that's been holding know. the Orioles back, the only thing that's been holding the Orioles back has been basically, it feels like ownership in many ways in, in recent years. and 
now that there's an ownership change in process, here they go. And the Orioles have so many upper level minor league elite prospects who the thing I'll say about all of that is, is they have shelf lives. Connor Norby is a guy who, if he spends another year in AAA being the same guy next year, he doesn't have as much value a year from now as he has now, because at some point you get a little stale, even if you're still a good player, but the Connor Norby's, the Joey Ortiz's, the Heston Kierstead's even, the Colton Cowser's, these guys are all at the, some of these guys are going to be helping Baltimore before long, but some of them, they can't just sit in AAA for two years or a year and a half. And there's nothing better to do then than to turn around and utterly transform your uh, rotation uh, by doing it. What do you think, Dylan? I'm worried about Dean Kramer's value now after what Jeff said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, like, I <laughs> I'm bringing the curses tonight. I mentioned the <laughs> Orioles needed to make a trade, and then all of a sudden on the show they made one five minutes later. <laughs> I, this is going to have significant effects, I think, ripple effects. Like if Colton Cowser or Connor Norby are part of the trade, I think that's going to hit Garrett yeah. Mitchell's value, Tyler Black's value, Bryce Terang's value, um, depending on, of course, who the return is. So I think this is huge. I think Burns to the Orioles is going to, I think it's going to boost his value specifically. Um, this is going to be very interesting as we get more of the details coming out. Yeah, and there's some there's some holes in the infield. So they don't really have a third baseman unless you you know buy into uh and andrew amastereo uh as an everyday uh third baseman so kobe mayo is honestly a really good fit i don't know about the outfielders because they have so many outfielders already right internally like they have they have outfield depth that i wonder if it would be mayo you know another infielder because i mean even bryce terrell you can mayo, norby you can ortiz westberg we, we yeah. can keep going. Yeah. I mean, they have so many infielders. And by the way, obviously, you know, wait, MJ, I think on the comments, Samuel Basayo is who you're uh, referring to. I don't expect him to go on this trade, but Ooh. that would be, that would be a headliner as well. Um, there's again, the Orioles have a lot. And by the way, this will make the, <laughs> <laughs> this will make the yep. Brewers system, which we already loved even better. Um, we don't want to spend all the time on that. We're here on a fantasy, but we had to cover that. But we do have some other good questions, so I do want to get to some of those too. So like Wesley Romain asks, it appears there are over 250 prospects listed in the rankings. Did I hear correctly that the Dynasty prospect list coming out next week will have only 100 prospects, or can we expect more? We'll see. We could, we could potentially – we ranked, I think – like 300 prospects because there was rankings beyond 700 that we didn't release plus all the fypd guys i think within the ranking we probably only ranked about 90 100 of the fypd guys so there are yeah there is there is a deeper uh prospect ranking coming out we'll see we'll see how big the list that we release is but there are 900 uh scouting reports and ranks on the site too <laughs> So yeah, I think, that, yeah, yeah, I think the list will be bigger than 100. Yes, but I don't want to. I, I don't want to give Dylan a heart attack on air. <laughs> yeah, I mean you can't go wrong, Wesley. You can't go wrong with the 250 that are listed there. Like that's, <laughs> it's kind of going to map very closely to that. So yeah, and and I will note that once the season rolls along, Robo Scout spits out. We give you literally 
a ranking of a quarter of all players at pretty much any week. I think we try to keep it to like 300 at each classification hitters and then like 150 pitchers, but it's a ton. So, uh, but that, again, we're having some really good questions here. Oh, oh, oh. Hot news from our own Carlos Colazzo on the scene uh, with, he says it's Ortiz and D.L. Hall. That's via Jeff Passett. That's that's two top hundred prospects, but at the same time, um, if that's it, that would be that that's kind of one of those where it doesn't even leave a mark on the Orioles. I would say I, no. I would expect there might be something else in it, but if that's the case, the Orioles may not even notice that they're gone. Nothing against Joey Ortiz and DL Hall, but DL Hall's a really good arm, but at the same time, Corbin Burns is a starter who's a stud, and then Joey Ortiz, as good as he is it's really almost impossible to map out a scenario if everyone sticks around with the Orioles where Joey Ortiz is a uh, regular for them because they have Gunner, they have Holiday, they have Mayo, and then they have guys like Westberg and Dort. They, they, they have so many guys, but man. Yeah. And it's, it's, it does feel light, but at the same time, two top 100 prospects, somebody that, Hey, if there's one organization where DL Hall and his profile could end up being something interesting of the guy who could be a reliever that turns into a starter. You know, it seems like the Brewers have had that roadmap uh, over the last handful of years. Uh, Burns, you know, Brandon Woodruff being a couple of examples, uh, Freddie Peralta as well. So maybe it's not the worst location for him to land. Could be a guy that potentially moves up in our fantasy rankings. And Ortiz, like I guess, ends up at third base, and that's a it's a pretty solid defensive side of the left the left side of the infield with him and, and Lee Adamas. So and, uh, or maybe Adamas gets moved next. Who knows? Uh could be the first shoe to drop in, in a whole bunch. But it feels like but there's only one year left on Corbin Burns's contract. So you know hopefully he signs an extension with the Orioles for the Orioles fans. I hope that happens. But at the same time, you're going for it. This is a, a guy in a contract here who's you know pitching for the money. And uh We've seen the, what the return typically is when there's less years involved and less control. So, I'm going to cop on MJ's question real quick, quick here because it ties in with that. What about Tyler Black? Where do you all see him fitting in? We obviously don't still know the full parameters here, but do you all hmm. think Tyler Black before long is part of that discussion as far as the Brewers infield? I was going to mention him as one of my sleepers from the previous question. <laughs> uh, good thing I didn't. Um, but, I, you know, I see him. He first popped at the beginning of the season, and RoboScout was a bit um, skeptical because the StatCast data underneath was not particularly incredible. Um, he kind of brought it up. It regressed to the to the mean, kind of is supporting what he did. But, you know, he looks like a 20 home run bat at peak with, you know, 40 stolen bases maybe at peak. He could play second or third, maybe not the greatest, but he, you know, he has some uh, versatility there. I thought he'd be a big part of this season. Uh, I traded for him in a dynasty league. I, I'm looking at him as a target. I was looking at him as a target for redraft as well. I like Tyler Black. I think he has a, a good major league future. Um, maybe this is going to, you know, change the the, the path and the, the shape of that after this trade. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily write it off. Like we're talking about. Bryce Terang and like Ortiz is going to fit in either at second or third base. And if it's second or whatever, or like we said, Willie Adamas gets moved. I think there's still opportunity there. I think he's still very much in the picture. Um, in an organization like this, they, they kind of need to hit on guys like this. They need to have, you know, homegrown drafted or signed and developed players 
up at the major league level, you know, and, and it looks like they're investing in this young core. I mean, they gave the money to Jackson Cheerio and now they're going out and getting another young player in an area where they needed some help. And, you know, Burns, I think they were never going to resign. So it's unfortunately one of those economics of the game type of deals. But in the end, it might be a decent deal for both teams and something that they both needed. Right. Okay. Going back to the, uh, to the, to the fantasy. Well, we have the <laughs> Robo scout account for the length of starting pitcher outings guys going three, four versus arms, brothers going five or six different level of difficulty theoretically. And by the way, I think he's talking about you, Dylan. I think Dylan's actually going with the Ken Rosenthal fair territory look, you know, with the uh, the bare walls and all. So you're in, you're in fine form on that. Uh, thanks for the question, Nate. Um, I, I don't read, so I, I, I can't read. So I don't have any shelves or books to read. Um, RoboScout does account for how deep uh, a starter goes. Um, it doesn't go into whether um, the starter maintains velocity, um, deeper in games, um, if, you know, the whiff rates or whatever change over time, third time through the order, it doesn't, it's more of sort of a macro, does the pitcher go deeper in games? So um, great question. Um, and it is something that, it, you know, it's it's hard to get that information on a, on a weekly basis and then parse it and then kind of determine how significant it should or shouldn't be and how uh, like predictive it is. Um, but it is definitely something that, uh, you know, you want to keep in mind because, if, if you're a starter that can go seven innings, that's probably going to be better than if you can only go five innings. And we've seen that uh, uh, historically. But so tell if someone if someone's watching this and they haven't enjoyed the mastery that is RoboScout, explain it a little bit more, if you would, Dylan, about what, what exactly RoboScout is, how RoboScout works and how if, again, if you're a BA subscriber, you're checking out the RoboScout story every week. How should someone best use RoboScout in season to kind of help them win their fantasy league? Yeah. Um, so it basically uses only data and StatCast data to help project what a prospect's performance that year um, portends for their future. So... Um, using the age curves that I talked about earlier in the podcast, um, age at level, um, how specific stats that are correlated to major league performance. So like WRC plus, um, how that ages, how, how, as you go up in levels, all that stuff and how that will, um, predict, a, a, a prospect's major league performance. That's all baked in. Uh, strikeout rates, walk rates, those are highly correlated to, you know, batting average and on, on base percentage, home run rates, very correlated to barrel rates, um, swinging strike rate on a pitcher, very correlated to strikeout um, rate. So all that kind of gets baked into a formula, um, it kind of predicts what the prospect's peak will be, and then also how far away they are, and... Um, how old they are, so their peak will be higher in the major leagues, et cetera, or, or worse. And then it kind of spits out a number, which is kind of like a, a ranking um, at each level. Um, it doesn't go into multiple years because I found it's more actionable for in-season, that, that one season. You want to find the breakouts. You want to find the breakouts before your league mates find them. Um, so you want something that's uh, quickly moving rather than... Um, you know, the traditional projections, which are like multiple seasons weighted 
Uh, the most recent one is like worth three, and then the year before is worth two, and the year before that's worth one. Um, sort of the the Tom Tango Marcel's um, traditional version, the naive model that uh, you know you should be baselining your projections off of. Um, so, your question: How should they use it? I think take it with a grain of salt. This is what their the the prospects' literal yearly production is showing that they should be doing in the majors. Um, it weighs peaks probably higher than what they will look like in their debut because um, those are sort of the one that are going to be most impactful. It doesn't want to find um, sort of like fringy um, regulars. It wants to find, you know, superstars. So they'll be weighed a little more heavily, but I, I kind of lost my train of thought, but basically it's just using data only and production only and does not consider defense. Um, so that's why you should refer to, you know, scouting reports and, and the rest of the BA, you know, top 900, all that stuff to help kind of parse how uh, how much you should weigh that offensive production. Are they a first base? Are they DH only? Or are they, you know, a center fielder with good defense up the middle? Um, all that should be weighed as you look at it. But this is purely by production in that year. How does it look like they will pr produce in the major leagues um, based on historical aging curves and and, you know, major league equivalencies? So I do want to get a couple of other like, hey, guys that y'all kind of debate and we have a lot, uh, you know, thank you. Uh, we have a lot of people showing up and maybe we'll talk a little bit more uh, Corbin Burns to the Orioles in a minute. But I kind of wanted to ask about a couple other guys that I think that y'all are a little. Jeff, what do you make of Josh Young? Yeah, you're, it's. You're high on him, aren't you? Yeah, in comparison to like where Dylan had him, um, you know, I just feel like you're kind of going into peak years. I buy into this idea in fantasy where really like as much as I evaluate prospects based on the balance of skills, lineup is really, really important. And it drives a lot of fantasy value, particularly when it comes to runs, all that sort of stuff. So young is in a great, environment he's in a great lineup a great young lineup with a core that's been committed for a long time and i just buy into um that potential situation to produce rbis and runs and home runs and you know from a rates perspective there's other guys that probably rate ahead of him but for me yeah i just i i still at the end of the day i think you know there could be 90 run 90 rbi seasons even if he's hitting in like the second half of that rangers <laughs> lineup I want to ask both of you about two other Rangers along those lines. What do you expect from Evan Carter and Wyatt Langford this year? And you know, uh, is it possible to be too excited about those guys? Or is it like, no, oh, the, the, the hype is, is, is huge, but the reality is just as huge. I'll start with you, Dylan. Uh, I, I love Evan Carter. I love Wyatt Langford. I'm, I'm most excited to see what Langford does just because he had such a loud debut um, he said had probably the most helium. I said Cole Emerson had the most helium. Maybe it was Wyatt Langford, um, if if it's even possible to be even more stratospheric than where he was ranked before. Um, I'm curious how that that shakes out. Um, Jeff and I talked about it on previous podcasts. Adolis Garcia is still there. Leoni Tavares is still a, a useful player who plays good defense in center field. Um, Evan Carter can play great center field. He had such a an incredible postseason as well. Um, small sample size, maybe there's platoon um, issues, um, but I really want to see Evan Carter as well. 
Um, so <coughs> I, I love them both. I don't know if, if I had to pick one of the two. I don't know which one I'd pick. Um, but I'm really curious and really excited to see how it shakes out this year and beyond. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, Eileen Langford here, um, just because of the the present power um, and just the plate skills and everything else. And the running has been kind of debated, but we'll see. The impact is still coming for Carter. I think the plate skills are really, really good. The hit tool might even be a little bit underrated. So when we factor in his ability to get on base, um, what he did in the playoffs, you know, I think maybe in a national perspective, put his name out there. Um, but for some prospect people, I think are still, you know, they see the EV numbers and stuff might get a little bit underwhelmed, but I just think the totality of the player is really, really good. And it's really not that dissimilar in terms of the profile from like a Jackson holiday. There's a lot of plate skills there, a guy that's really advanced. Um, and somebody that we both, I think all think will grow into more power as he adds muscle and just grows and develops and, you know, adjusts some of the swings, some of those things. So I think they're both top five prospects for me, six prospects for me. And I have, I have Lankford as, as number one, obviously debated with a few other guys, but for me, I just think Lankford from a fantasy perspective, a hitting perspective, seems like such a sure thing. I've kind of put that Chris Bryant comp on him where it's a college bat where I think like going into this year, you're, you're excited that like this guy could come up and be a legitimate impact hitter for several years. So this kind of fits with the, we're also processing the Corbin Burns dude. Uh, odd youth would think if the Brewers had moved sooner, they could have gotten more for Burns. It, you might you mentioned it, Jeff. One year is these kind of probably the key attribute here. Yeah, I I sort of they also got a comp pick I think as well um, from mm -hmm. the Orioles, but I kind of feel they did this multiple times, and this is kind of in the trademark of what the Rays have done and been able to stay in relevancy as a smaller market team with a smaller budget than the Brewers. They held too long on Brandon Wood Woodruff. They could have moved Woodruff a year or two back for uh, a kitty. I mean, like uh, an absolute, like, you know, um, treasure. They could have moved Burns a year ago for the same thing. And I think they kind of knew where they were headed last year. Team was kind of good and competitive early. They're not a bad organization. They're not a bad team. But at the same time, they weren't moving in the right direction. And they had these contracts looming and they didn't really do anything about it. You know, I know there's been some changeover um, in the front office and the manager's role as well uh, this year. But, you know, I think they could have adjusted a little bit more knowing that this wasn't a World Series contender the last two years. I do think that it hurt them in terms of what they, what they got for the return. Had they made this trade earlier, they might have gotten some much bigger name prospects and, you know, potential 60, 70 grade type of players, guys that rank in the top 25 of a, of a prospect ranking universally across all the lists, you know, not just a favorite of one or the other. I, I think, uh, sorry, I just, just uh, no, go ahead, go ahead. step in here. Just after the, like the, the public disgruntlement with the, the arbitration process or whatever it was with Burns, I think after that happened, they're kind of backed into a corner. They can't try to move them then because then it looks like, oh, they're trying to get off of him. Um, so you kind of, you know, try to show you have confidence in him still. And like, this is just part of business and we're still going to move forward with him. And, you know, he's still a big part of our team. And so you kind of wait <laughs> so that people buy that and then you try to make the trade. So I think they kind of got boxed in after the, the sort of the mm -hmm. public disgruntlement that happened earlier. 
I will say though, if you are an Orioles fan tonight, you can basically run around uh, dancing and screaming because what a couple of days. I, I, the thing about it is, is yes, I. It's not like that the Brewers got nothing, but at the same time, if you're an Orioles fan, so often when we see fans talk about trades, they want to propose trades where it's like, I want to propose a trade where I get something really good for my team and I don't give up anything that's really going to hurt. And I'm not saying Joey Ortiz, D.L. Hall could yeah. hurt a little bit because they're good players. They're good prospects. They're number six and number seven on our Orioles list. But that said, neither of them were going to be key factors on this year's team as projected unless there are injuries. Hall is a good pitcher who could have cut a star, could have relieved, but if he relieved for the Orioles this year, maybe more down the road, but this year he's behind Kimbrell. He's by, you know, there's multiple guys that he's behind right now. Mm -hmm. And Ortiz, again, they, they have a ton of infielders, but we do have other fantasy questions to cover as well. So another one from, uh, from Matthew, which is, I think, really, again, another, you're asking some really good questions here, Matthew, but how long until you feel RoboScout stabilized with a big enough sample? Yeah, um, I, I I regress heavily. Um, so it, it's kind of relevant, you know, even a few weeks into the season. Um, you can kind of see, quote unquote, significant real um, value changes because I regress so heavily. Um, like, like 300 plate appearances for WRC plus that type of thing. Um, strikeouts um, stabilize quickly, walks stabilize quickly, um, barrel rates re relatively quickly. So it, it it kind of is meaningful quite quickly, right? Right when it's published, basically it's it's useful. Um, does do things change over time? Yes, of course. Um, but uh, it's not something that you have to wait until you have a whole season's worth of data before it actually means anything. You, you can act quickly, and it was kind of designed specifically to do that. I'm going to keep the questions coming. We talked a little bit about this. We know this guy. But Mark Chiarelli uh, asks, uh, instant reaction, but how do you think this might affect the farm system rankings that are about to drop? I don't think it affects them at all because the <laughs> Orioles managed to do this without trading any of their top five prospects. Yeah. And oh yeah, by the way, those top five prospects are all in the top 55 on our top 100. Yeah, and I mean, it, it helps the Brewers' case um, where they're ranking, which is, I think, two or three. So You'll find out like... tomorrow. We're dropping it tomorrow on the site. <laughs> so these were kind of like, you know, guys changing expensive Armani shirts. Like, you know, they, they both uh, – one of them gave gave the other guy a, an Armani shirt he didn't need any longer. So that, it's, that, it's sort that's of – That's the thing I was going to say. Yeah. Is that, to me – we have a story about this tomorrow. The Orioles were so far from everyone else. When we did our talent rankings, we we do evaluation system to have data data kind of underpinning it. Where and our valuation system using the research that Driveline did and you know a, a cool site out of Pittsburgh did for years and different that research, we use those valuations and then we look at it, then we analyze it, and how does this all work? You know, does this look right? And the thing that jumped out is, is that the gap from one to two was probably at that time bigger than the gap from like two to like six. So even with a, a little bit of a change, I, I think that the Orioles are, are still there. But we're just going to keep them coming here as we head into, we've gone past an hour plus. Thank you all for being here. We appreciate you. Uh, and again, if you're checking out later, we also appreciate you here. But Wesley Romain asks, 
when's the right time to move on? When's the right time to admit that that prospect, you know, probably isn't the guy you want anymore? And Dylan, I'm going to lead it off with you. And I think you kind of hinted at this answer before, which is you got to have a blend on your kind of on, on that on that uh, that 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 taxi squad, right? You've got to have a blend on that reserve list. You don't want to be all on five, four years away, or all on close to the majors. Partly, is it part of it, isn't it? Yeah, it, exactly. For me, I th I think it has to kind of fit your way of playing, your strategy, your strengths, like what you like to do. Um, I like to diversify. I like to have a blend. I like to have. I don't want to be all hitters. I don't want to be all pitchers. I don't want to be all far away. I don't want to be all post hype. So I think if I have a few of these former top prospects, if I have these post hype guys already, I'll be quicker to move on off of them. Um, if I have enough uh, sort of these flyers, as you call them, the lottery tickets, I may not um, want another one. So it kind of kind of fits the the profile and and sort of the roster construction. Um, portfolio that you have and you want it to map kind of to like you want to have fun playing dynasty so you want to kind of enjoy doing what you're doing and you want to have um sort of a, a a prospect base that kind of maps to your personality so i i'm the type of person who likes to churn i like to constantly turn over um i like to use prospects and trades to get you know major league talent so i'm very quick to move off of off of prospects um i also like to to kind of get prospects who maybe have been undervalued. Um, so it, that's the way I like to play. I know a lot of people don't like to play that way. They want to hold on to their prospects and they don't, it, it would crush them to see that they traded Yuri Perez or they traded, you know, Ezekiel Tovar, Nick Lodolo, that type of thing, because, you know, Oh, I had those guys and I traded for major league talent, but I'm okay with that. So, but that may not fit your personality or the way you like to play. Jeff, I'm going to say, start the saying, it's time to let go of Anderson Espinosa if you still have him, or, uh, you know, <laughs> and probably Sixo Sanchez. But is there a post-hype, is there a guy who comes to mind for you that's like, hey, maybe you want to keep that guy? Like, again, I hate to do this. I'm putting you guys on the spot where it's like, hey, I want you to scan through everyone in your head. But is there anyone that comes to mind for either of you guys that's like one way or the other? Like, or, you know, I know we liked this guy at one point, but it's probably time to... To, to sell it's probably time to just move on anyone come to mind for either of you guys because huh. nolan jones like you said was a good yeah. example of this last year yeah and i think like cole reagan's was probably a good example of this last year as well um to an extent though that kind of you know blew the doors off of any expectations that had been there previously um yeah, I mean, I think there a lot of it is guys who performed the previous year and then were injured or had something they dealt with um, that you maybe shouldn't write off. I think a guy like that who we actually have ranked pretty highly is Edison Barger um, from the Blue Jays, who is getting some work in the outfield. He could have some positional versatility. I don't know who he fits in or if the Justin Turner thing cuts into any of his potential playing time. Maybe not. Um, but he's a guy who hit really well. And outside of a period of time where he was dealing with an injury, he hit really well again outside of sort of that injured period. So, you know, I think he's a guy where maybe people have kind of dismissed him because the numbers weren't as good and it's AAA and he didn't get called up. 
Um, he's a guy I wouldn't necessarily, you know, fully write off. I think a, a popular one this year is Jared Kelnick um, because Kelnick's going to a great lineup and he's going to get that boost I talked about before with the runs and the RBIs. And we saw a player with kind of similar skills and output and Eddie Rosario put up a top 200 fantasy season last year. Um, so, yeah, I think those are those are probably a couple of them. I get a ton of questions about Joe Adele. Personally, I, I am I'm not buying in as a post-type sleeper there, but I could be wrong. The only person I can think of is like Andy Pajes of the Dodgers. I feel he's kind of been forgotten. Yeah, injury, Nick, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, his data is still good. And when he's playing, I, he lost some weight too. He, he looks a bit better. And I think he's like... People lose, he's lost the luster, um, but I still think he, he's going to be, you know, a reasonably good value. What about Hassel? Robert Hassel? <sighs> but, That's you know, one I'm probably at least, if I'm not selling yet, I'm at least, um, I'm open. I'm, I'm, I, I, would, I would say that his selling window is probably a year ago or so. Now it might even be like a hold window where you hope that, he comes back out, he's full, it's a healthy season, and he can regain some of that value again. Uh, and then you can sort of sell him, you know. Um, I think the Washington prospects are, are a tough sell. It's not a great ballpark. It's not going to be a great lineup. You know, there's a little worry there. And I think that, like, James Wood and Dylan Cruz are really exciting prospects. But I'd be lying if I didn't say there weren't other organizations, maybe 20 of them, I wouldn't be probably more excited if they were going to be in those teams or hitting in those lineups. I mean, Wyatt Langford's a perfect example. You switch spots with him and Dylan Cruz, I think people are probably pretty excited about Dylan Cruz right now in a way that they are about Wyatt Langford. So sometimes it's just team context, man. We, we At some point, we're going to have to wrap this up, but they keep coming. So where does Jairo Iriarte fit in the Padres bullpen after the acquisition of Wandy Peralta? Dylan, I know you are a maestro of how does these depth charts uh, work? Uh, how do they line up? Where's the playing time going? What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out if this is being sarcastic or not um, <clears throat> because of the, the ripple effect of Wandy Peralta, as we know, is very significant. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I expected Iriarte to be a huge, significant piece of the Padres this year. Um, I know he's top 100 or, or very close to it. Um, I think he's we're going to try to have him be a starter. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe speaking out of my depth here. Um, yeah. But I don't, I, I don't think Wadi Peralta is going to move the needle too much. I know the Padres also signed um, Wusako Yuki Mitsui, I think as well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they, they have a lot of, I mean, they lost Hater, of course, but they have a lot of bullpen guys. I don't think they're counting on Iriarte. So I'm going to, I'm going to approach this. This is, being uh facetious this question <laughs> well i know i mean i think it could like if you thought that he was like a flamethrower that could fit in maybe that's not the case anymore and they gave decent money to peralta if anything i would hope it like it, it means iriarte gets more runway as a starter mm -hmm. he's super athletic it's a really good operation i think there's more there um he's somebody that i i would want them to stick with as a starter for a few years and you know, the back end of this rotation, I mean, they got Pedro Avila uh, penciled in as one of the starters. So, you know, I think there's opportunity if somebody pitches well in the upper minors to maybe pitch their way up to the, the big leagues and get some run as a starter. And that's more valuable. 
I just want to bring up because George Valera is a guy who it's yeah. easy to have prospect fatigue on. Uh, that is a good name to throw out for that because it does feel like that George Valera has been knocking on the door. I feel like there have been a couple of Guardians who've been knocking for a while. Last year we saw in a couple of cases, like you know Nolan Jones, Will Benson also was knocking on the door and then actually became more valuable post-trade in both cases. So obviously there are other avenues as well if you're a Guardian. So, Those impact yeah. guys. You know, but anything, again, we've been going for almost an hour and 20 minutes uh you know anything before we wrap up anything we haven't covered that we should leave the people with before we head on out of here no just go to the website uh <clears throat> certainly go and check out the top 700 all of our dynasty rankings all of our prospect rankings we had the top 200 draft rankings they're updated by carlos who was uh tuning in in the uh <laughs> in the chat room over there um, he just updated his top 200. So we got a ton of new content up on Baseball America. I encourage everyone to go over there. If you're not a subscriber, it's and, a great time. Jump in and subscribe. And I think also by the time literally we saw the trade happen while we were here, and I believe we have a report up with full scouting with scouting reports on all of the players involved going up at baseballamerica.com right now, even go while team. we're still on the stream. So uh, you know, cool how that works. So we're going to, again, we're going to keep these up, put it on your calendar. Jeff, I'll let you take it away on this because you're our organizing force on this. But what can people expect just to give them that, that, that hint of the fantasy summit coming to them again week after week? Yeah, I just think more strategy conversations, digging into, I think the next conversation is probably going to be about an FYPD strategy a little bit as that's topical right now. Um, you know, targeting prospects, talk to Dylan try to get an NFBC uh, focused one where we're, we're targeting those, you know, bigger money leagues with bigger rosters, you know, challenging for a main event against a, a bigger group. So uh, maybe we'll bring, have Dylan bring in some of his, uh, his fellow sharks that are swimming in those waters, but uh, you know, just a, a variety of different topics and expertise, just like we had last year. Uh, but on a fun format like this, taking your questions and, Hey, if we're good luck, maybe another trade breaks next week. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. We can keep those up. But thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, everyone who came out tonight. Thank you for the questions. And again, check out everything at baseballamerica.com. We have a ton of fantasy content. We're going to keep adding to it. We're going to have you ready so that you can dominate your league, not just this year, but for years to come. For Dylan, for Jeff, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.